as I listen to the lyrics of that song, I couldn't help but think of the messes that we find in our lives. I, I couldn't help but think of the confusion sometimes that we feel. Is that, that, that song, as I, as I listen to the song and as I look at the lyrics of the song, oh God, you got to shake it out, shake it out. you got to take it out, take it down. As I look at the lyrics of the song and listen to the story of that man's life and the story that God told through his life of transformation, the story of grace, it makes me look and look at look at the stories that God may be telling through our lives. It makes me stop and think about the the messes that sometimes we look at within our own lives, and we say, "You know, God, you can't fix this." And God tries to peel away the layers of our lives. And as he peels those away, we look at the messes that are continued to be revealed. I don't know about you, but I can think through my lifetime, the, 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 uh, the messes, as God peels away layers of who I am, the experiences that I have had, the, the story that, that I see God intertwining through my life. As God continues to peel those things away, I look at my own life at times and I say, wow, that, can you fix that? Whatever that is, you know. So this morning, I all want us to look at three questions. We're, we're going to be looking at, uh, through this series, uh, Storytellers, we're going to be looking at the life of David. Because it's amazing the story that God tells through the life of David. Good things and bad things that happen within the life of David. And, and I think David is, is a character in Scripture that we can easily relate to. The things that he experienced, the, 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 the things that he went through the trials that he had, the, the exciting times in life that he had, the way God used him and the way God had to discipline him at times. And so as we go through this series, I'm excited for what God might reveal to us about the messes within our lives that God wants to tell his story through, just like Brian Welch. And so as we get into that, again, like, like I mentioned, I, I want us to look at three questions today. But before we do that, I just want to take a minute and I want to pray. I, I want to ask God to reveal those things to us. Because I could stand up here and, and be a talking head to you for the next, next half hour. But if that's all this is, then why, why even be here? And so I just want to take a minute and I want to pray. Because many of us come in through this week from all kinds of different experiences. Many of us leave 2010 with all kinds of different trials and tribulations, exciting things. Uh, some of us come in from 2010, one of the best years of our lives, and some of us come in as a, one, maybe one of the worst years of our life. And, and so I want us to take and pause a minute and ask God to meet with us in each of the unique places that we find each of us in. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we're able to be here this morning. Jesus, I thank you for the word that you want to share to us. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is alive and real and works in each of our lives if we do indeed call you Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you that you know where each of us are coming from this morning and even from last year. Lord, I thank you that you know even in advance the story that you have to tell through our lives in 2011. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would 
just meet with us. I ask that we would be receptive to hearing your word. I, I thank you that your word is alive and real. And Jesus, I thank you that we just aren't here this morning to learn some good ideas that we walk away with. Lord, I thank you that we're here this morning. And Lord, I pray that we're seeking you for transformation, for change. To unpack those messes that are within each of our lives, I believe. And they all look different. So Lord, I pray that you would help peel away the layers of our skin to reveal to us the areas that you want to use, what I believe, Lord, to be the biggest part of our story, of your grace and your, your love and transformation. So, Lord, please speak to us this morning in a special and unique way. And it's in your precious name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, t- turn to First uh, Samuel. Chapter uh, 14, if you need a Bible, put your hand up, we would love to give you one, and you can take this with you, and you can call it your Bible. Put your name in it, this can be your Bible, but turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 14, you're going to find it near the beginning of the Bible, you're going to find uh, you know, Exodus, and, and Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, Judges, but then after you get through Judges, you're going to find, uh, <clears throat> soon after that, 1 first, first Samuel. So turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 13. As you're turning there, like I mentioned prior, there's three questions I want us to look at here this morning real quickly. The first question is, what is the mess we believe that God can't fix? You know, as that song described and as Brian Welch felt at one time in his life, what is the mess that you believe that God can't fix? Think about that. And those messes all look differently, guys. Now, I'm guessing that most of us sitting here have not had an addiction to some sort of drug as, as Brian Welch did. But I'm also guessing that the messes within our lives look very similar to Brian Welch. Because it doesn't matter what that mess is, it all looks the same. It all functions the same. It all can take us away from Christ, or God can use those things in a unique way to point us towards Christ as he did in Brian Welch's life. You know, uh, those messes can look very different. They, they, they can be fears within our lives. What are fears that you might be facing? You know, fears of maybe being found out. You know, what others might think of you. Maybe fears of not being loved, appreciated, respected. Maybe failings, afraid to fail. Maybe past failures, past mistakes, past regrets. Not making it. You know, maybe, maybe lies that you've been told in the past that you fight with trying to find the truth. Decipher what is true and what is, what is a lie. And we, we all have it. Like, like, for instance, within my life, I can tell you that most of the time, I am speaking out of the messes that I have in my life. That, that may be a shock to some of you, but I am human just like you. And a lot of the times that I speak out of, I speak out of the places that God has taken me. 
the experiences that God has given me. And a lot of times those experiences are messes that I have faced with in my own life. For, for, for example, I, I can tell you that one of the messes within my own life is I have been in the place where I have had people tell me, you can't make it. Okay? I've had people tell me that you're not very good at working with adults as I was a youth pastor one time. I've had people tell me that I'm too hard on people. And, and so what do, what do those things do within my mind? What do those things do? It makes me stop and pause and say, man, is that true? Is that true? So it, it makes me stop and say, it, it causes me not to maybe be as confident to maybe lack initiative at times. To maybe step back instead of stepping forward. Because within my own self, I'm battling what is lie and what is truth. Have you guys been there? Have you guys been there? I don't believe that I'm the only, only one. It's, it's confusing a lot of times, isn't it? I, <laughs> I remember, I don't, I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but when I was younger, I was kind of mischievous at times. Anybody else? Mischievous? I had a younger sister, and so there was nobody better to be mischievous against than my younger sister. And so I remember, I found out early that, oh, there's no Santa Claus, there's no tooth fairy, you know, none of that kind of stuff. My sister, though, was younger. I had to teach her those things. And so I remember teaching her that there is no tooth fairy. The way I did that was she lost a tooth and I, her name was Mandy. I said, Mandy, I bet that instead of putting your tooth under your pillow tonight, if you hide it, you're still going to get a dollar. And so she did. She took and she hit her tooth. She woke up the next morning and there was a dollar under her pillow. She wakes up and she looks and she finds a dollar. But she's not excited and said she's confused. She walks downstairs crying. She goes, Mommy, Daddy, I robbed the tooth fairy. Why was she in that state? Because she was confused. What's truth? What's not truth? Where's reality begin? Where's reality end? It's a silly example. But again, I wonder how much of that is true within our own lives, the confusion of the messes within. I want to ask you a second question. The first question, what is the mess within your life? The second question, do you believe that God wants to tell a story through your mess? Do you believe that God has a story that He wants to intertwine within the fabric of your life? Do you believe that God can use that mess as a triumphant story within your life of His grace, of His mercy, of life transformation and how He changes lives and never leaves us the same? Does the greatest part of your story lie within your mess? When we launched this church, we launched this church saying we are a church of screwed up people looking for other screwed up people to see our lives change together. 
And so I'm guessing that if you call awake and home, or you walked into the doors, you may be at the place where you're saying, I'm pretty messed up inside. So, is the greatest potential for the greatest story in our lives lie within the greatest mess within our lives? I think that's true a lot of times. That the greatest possibility, the greatest opportunity for God to change our lives, the biggest opportunity for transformation within me lies within the biggest mess. But then it brings all kinds of other questions, doesn't it? You know, the fear of walking through that. What's it going to look like? How's it going to feel? What's going to happen when I tell people those messes? You know, what's going to happen when I leave that to God, whatever that is, you know? Feelings of control, you know, feelings of failure, feelings of being found out, feelings of this, whatever it might be. I want us to look at 1 Samuel. And I want us to start in chapter 13, so just back up a little bit. And I want to read you a story, not of David, but I want to read you a story of Jonathan, who is David's best friend. I believe there's a lot we can find out about somebody by who they're in community with. I truly believe that. We can find out a lot about somebody by who they're in community with. So I want to look at, look at Jonathan who David would have called his best friend. And I, I want to look at the life of Jonathan and see how that played out. And you'll see that as we go through this series week after week, how that played out in David's life. But I want us to look in the life of Jonathan today and, and ask that question. And those two questions, what is the greatest mess within our lives? And, and what is the story that God wants to tell within that greatest mess of his transformation within our lives? Let's look here. In chapter 13, we're going to go into a scene of war. So it'll be up here on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there because I'm going to have you jot a few things down as we go. But in chapter 13, starting in verse 16, it says, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Geba and Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned toward Oprah, in the vicinity of Shual, uh, another toward Beth Haran, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboim facing the desert. So basically the Philistines, who were enemies of the Israelites, were advancing against the Israelites, okay? Verse 19, it says, Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, Otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So basically the Philistines were pretty smart. They told the Israelites, they said, you know what? You don't need blacksmiths. We'll do all that work for you and we'll charge you a great price. So just bring all your stuff that needs sharpened and tweaked and, and made metal-wise. Bring it to us and we'll do it for you. The Philistines were pretty smart. They said, put a strategy together and said, we want to advance against Israel. Let's, let's do like a half-off sale, right? We'll have them bring all of their stuff at one time. Half-off. Great deal. Can't beat it. And then when they bring all their stuff, they'll have nothing to fight us with. And then the Israelites then will be marched upon by the Philistines, hopeless. So, so turn to, to, to chapter 14, and we'll see that carried out. It says in verse 23, the previous chapter, Now a detachment of the Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash, 
One day, Jonathan, son of Saul. Now remember, Saul was king of Israel at this time. Jonathan was his son. Okay, Saul was the first king of Israel. At one time, Saul was, was who God appointed to be king over his people. And we'll see in this, in this section of Scripture, this story, that Saul had really lost that place with God. And we'll see why here in a minute. It says, uh, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying, staying, I'm sorry, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Geba under a pomegranate tree in Megron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an foe. Basically, Ahijah was a priest of that day, a, a religious leader of that day that Saul used for, for, for advice. So he would go to the Ahijah and say, hey, what should I do? You know, the, the Philistines are advancing on me. What should I do? And it says, uh, he was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub. Uh, skip down here, priest of Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. So Jonathan, instead of standing back, picture this. Saul, picture this as a big tree. Saul is sitting back here under a tree. The war is out there. His men are with him. And he's not advancing or trying to protect the people of Israel. And said, Saul is paying his priest to give him the answers he wants the priest to give him. So he says, so what do you think, Ahijah? Should we go and uh, advance against the, uh, the Philistines? Here's 20 bucks. Tell me no. Ahijah takes 20 bucks. No, I don't know if that would be a good idea. Let's not advance against the, the Philistines. Jonathan, on the other had left. So in verse 6, picking up, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. I love that. Jonathan kind of makes, uh, um, makes light of them. Anyways, but catch what he says after that. He says to his armor bearer, come with me. Let's advance against them. And then catch what he says. He says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. He says, hey, hey, come here, come here. I got an idea. They're advancing against us. My dad is a bonehead and is scared to do anything to protect our people. Let's you and I go do it. And his armor bearer says, "Uh, okay, um, what are our chances? Jonathan says, well, I I really don't know what God's going to do. I just feel like it's something we're supposed to do. You know, perhaps God will work with us. Perhaps this might be the end. But listen to his armor bearer's response. As Jonathan says to him, nothing can hinder the Lord by save, from saving, whether by many or few. So he tells him, he says, you know, we can, we can march against them. God could do something. God couldn't do something. But nothing can change what God's going to do, no matter how small or how big we are. You know, God is God. God is going to do what he wants to do. But I want to make sure that we're moving forward into what God is doing, whatever that means. Verse 7, do all that you have in mind, the armor bearer said. Listen to this. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. So the armor bearer t- trusts Jonathan. He, he respects him. He trusts them. He says, whatever you think that we should do, I'll go with you. 
verse 8, Jonathan said, Come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. I'm not a huge military strategist. Um, Some of you guys probably do this for a living. My guess is you don't want your enemy to see you. Is that pretty... Would you say that's true? Yeah. You don't want your enemy to see you. So, but, but Jonathan, on the other, other hand, says, Come, then we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. Verse 9, If they see us, wait there until we come... I'm sorry, if they say to us, Wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men at the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. And it goes on and says they climbed up with their hands and their feet. I want to ask you a question. This doesn't make a lot of sense. First, they want to be seen by the enemy. Secondly, they say, if we're seen by the enemy, and they say, come up to us, then, then I believe God has given them into our hands. Well, if they have to climb up to the enemy, and they use their hands and their feet, they were the only two with weaponry. Where is their weapons? It's on their back. It doesn't make any logical sense at all, and we'll get to that in a minute. But they climb up with their hands and their feet, and it says that, that Jonathan, that God used Jonathan and his armor bearer that day to, uh, <clears throat> to kill many of the Philistines that were in that outpost. And then God used a, uh, an earthquake to confuse the, the, the Philistine army and to cause the Philistine army to fight against themselves. And God won that day despite. Saul and his army sitting under a tree waiting for God to respond. God responded that day because two men were willing to walk into an uncertain situation and let God use them in whatever way God saw fit. There's five things that I want you to write down here that I believe that as we look within the messes of our lives, the stories that God wants to tell through our lives, that there's five things that I think we can take out of this story of Jonathan and apply directly to our lives. The first thing here is, I want you to write by verse 1 of chapter 14, I want you to write the phrase, take initiative. Take initiative. Many of us, we will look at at the messes within our lives and, and, and... and the mountain that it seems like we have to climb to, to face those things that we're facing within our life to see God work, and we'll lack initiative. You know, there was a dichotomy between what was happening with Saul and what was happening with Jonathan. Jonathan was ready to advance. He didn't know what was going to happen. Saul, on the other, uh, on the other hand, was not willing to do anything until he knew that the odds were in his favor. Many of us, I think, we sit back, and I've seen this a lot within the church. We say, God, what is your will for my life? And we, we sit. God, what is, the will for, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And we sit. I'm listening. I'm listening. 
God, what do you want me to do? I'm listening. And a lot of times we stay in that place. Let me challenge you with something. Do you think God would rather have us here, sitting? God, what do you want me to do? Or do you think God would rather have us moving forward into the places that we believe God wants us to be, praying along the way, God, direct me and lead me into what you're doing. God, give me eyes to see what you're doing. God, use your Holy Spirit to direct me. Use your word to direct me to what you're doing in this place and and how I fit within that. Which one makes more sense? What Saul was doing? Or what Jonathan was doing. Perhaps the Lord will save us. Perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf. He didn't know. But he took initiative. What if within the, the biggest messes within our lives, the biggest things that God wants us to face, the, the, the huge mountaintop that God wants us to walk towards, what if within that mountaintop is the greatest story that God wants to tell within our life? What if, what if within conquering that area of our life is the greatest story that God wants to tell through us of his grace and his mercy? What if that is the greatest place of transformation for us? It, it goes on, though. It, the, the second thing that we see within this passage, look down in verse 7. It says, Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan had influence. Within his armor bearer's life, Jonathan had influence. I want to ask you guys, do you have influence? You do. All of us have influence. All of us have people that are watching within our life. That's why I believe that oftentimes God uses your life my life to tell his story through to those that are watching me. So if that is the case, the question we have to ask ourselves, am I influencing people towards Christ or away from Christ? One of the values of Awaken is leadership. Because I believe that we all possess some sort of leadership. We are all leading people towards Christ or away from Christ. So my question is, who are you influencing and how are you influencing? Let's continue here. Look up in the second half of verse 6. Jonathan, again, he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Jonathan didn't know what was going to transpire. And I think that's a lot of times what paralyzes us within what God wants to do within our life. God paraly- or, uh, we are paralyzed by the messes in our lives from the things that God wants to tell through our lives, the, the grace that God wants to show, the influence that God wants to have. We are paralyzed by that uncertainty. As I ask myself this week, what is it that made Jonathan move? It wasn't like he was certain that everything was going to work in in his favor. As I look at 
what made Jonathan move and what didn't make Saul move. The difference I saw, personally, was that Jonathan saw his life as small. Saul saw his life as big. Jonathan saw his life as small compared to the things that God wanted to do. And Jonathan said, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I want to be a part of seeing God do something amazing through my life. Jonathan looked at life and saw, as Chris shared with us last week, that the shortness of our life here is like a breath, like a mist. Saul never understood that concept. Jonathan understood that concept. That my life here is for a short time. God, do with it what you please. Do with it what you please. So moving on in this passage, we saw that Jonathan took initiative into that uncertainty. He, he wanted to lead people towards Christ, not away from Christ. And he wanted God to tell the story, God's story through his life. The fourth thing we see here, you look at the last half of verse 6, it says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan was willing to embrace the inherent dangers. I promise you that if you are willing to walk into the uncertainty of those issues within your life that God wants to use, that God wants to change, that God wants to transform, if you're willing to walk into the uncertainty of that, I promise you that there will be inherent danger. Because there is an enemy that does not want your story to be told through the eyes, through the lens, through, 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 through the, the breath of God's story. I, I remember when I was in college, and I remember that the greatest compliment that somebody ever gave me, and I didn't even realize it was a compliment at first. I was walking, God was doing different things within my life, and he was breaking me. He, he was really just, just breaking me down. I was prideful, I was arrogant, I was like, this is what I want for my life, and God said, no, <laughs> you got another thing coming, kid. And God just broke me down, and I remember somebody came up to me that t- at that time when God was doing all that work within my life. They came up to me and they said, Mike, I see the fingerprints of God in your life. And I, as she said that to me, and I just kind of laughed and said, yeah, ha, 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 that's funny. She said, no, seriously, I see the fingerprints of God in your life. Looking back on that now, you know, almost 10 years later, more than 10 years later, looking back on that now, that's part of my story. That's part of the story of God's grace, of God's mercy. Was there inherent danger? Yes, there was. We'll talk about that as we go through this series. There was inherent danger. But there was a greater story that God wanted to tell. As hard as that was, as tough as that was, there was a greater story that God wanted to tell through my life that didn't show me. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do everything with Christ working in me to show those around me of God's grace and His transforming power. Because through that story, I was never the same. 
The last thing we see here then is that Jonathan strategized, verse 8, Jonathan strategized from an advanced mentality. He said, if they call us up to them, then God has given them into our hands because it makes no logical sense. And, And so Jonathan walked up to them believing that God was going to give them into their hands at that point. He didn't know before, but at that point, he strategized from an advanced mentality. I want to ask you a third question as we close here. And we're going to talk about all these things as we go through this series. Because I truly believe that God wants to tell a story through your life. I truly believe that God is telling a story through your life. But there's a third question I want to leave you with. And that question is simple. It's simply, is God intertwining? Is God intertwining? Your story and my story and all of our stories together. Is God intertwining your story, each fabric of our stories, is God intertwining those threads together, all of us together, to create a tapestry of who He is? Is God creating a story that tells of His grace. A story that tells of His mercy. A story that tells of His pursuit of us, His love for us, His undying love. Is God telling a story that intertwines all of our stories together to show the greater picture of who Christ is? Imagine that with me for a second. If my story and your story and the story of those sitting next to you and behind you in front of you and the story of those that aren't even in this room and the stories of those that aren't even in this city, the story of those that aren't even in this country, but are all through the world, if, what if God was weaving our stories together to tell of his passionate pursuit of humanity? to see life change as we saw in that video from Brian Welch. What would that look like? What would that look like? I don't know where 2010 brought most of you from. As we share together, I've learned some of your stories. Some of them I've not. As we share life together, I've learned what God has done in some of your lives in 2010. And as some of us have shared our lives together through 2010, we're seeing God build something here that is bigger than any of us. We're seeing how God uses the fabric, the thread of each of us as we're all different colors and different thicknesses and and different grains of thread as God intertwines all of us together and the tapestry that God is forming through us that he is right here locally is calling Awaken. And we are seeing how God is using that and changing lives 
as people have given their life to Christ in 2010, have, have been baptized in 2010, it excites me for what God is doing then as we move into 2011. It excites me on, on an individual basis what God wants to do in each of your life. And it also excites me on a corporate basis. As you know that it's often the church that God works through. And how God is working through this local body. But then also every other body within Virginia Beach and and worldwide. To tell his story of transformation. I, I don't know where each of us find ourselves I don't know, maybe some of you are watching from the outside of the story God is telling and saying, how, how do I see, see that? The, the, the story of Brian Welch, the, the story of, uh, of, of those that have, have seen their lives changed by Christ, and we're going to see testimonies throughout this series. How does that story become my own personal story? Maybe some of you sit here with that question. Maybe others sit here with the question of saying, you know what, I've seen God work within my life. How does that story intertwine within the fabric of what God is doing here corporately to change those around the city, to change those that I have direct influence within the places I work and the the friends I have and the family I have and maybe the places I go to school? I want to take a second and pray as the worship team comes back up to to close us out. I want you to think, where are you in that story? Let's pray and ask God to identify that to us. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are telling of your grace, of your mercy, of your power, of your love, of your pursuit of us through each of our lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we are witnesses of that if we allow ourselves to be. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would identify with us where we are at, whether we are at the place where we need to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Or maybe we've done that before and we're in the place, Jesus, where we say, Jesus, I know you, but I have not given you my life to create with it what you will. So, Lord, wherever we're at within that, I pray that you identify that to us. And, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to have the longing and desire as Jonathan did to give his life to you, to do whatever you pleased with it. Perhaps the Lord will save us, whether by many or by few. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed now, if you are at that place and you're saying, Jesus, I want you to tell your story through me. Would you slip your hand up and just say, I want 2011 to be a year that God is telling his story through me by changing my life. If that is you, would you just slip your hand up? Thank you. Because I, I want to pray for you. That is my, thank you, thank you. That is my desire this new year, that God would do that. 
because I want my life to be in his hands. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those that are saying here today and maybe those that are pondering what that means to fully allow you to work within our lives, to face that uncertainty, to face that, 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 uh, that, that danger, that inherent danger, Lord, to take the initiative and, and to see you change us from the inside out and, and to see our lives become a, a witness to those around us of your great love. Lord, I thank you for wanting to do that within us and through us. And Jesus, I pray that you would direct us as we go through this series of storytellers. And as we even carry this throughout this year of 2011, Lord, I pray that you would work within our life in a way that would blow our minds. And that as you work within our lives, that you would work within awaken corporately, Lord, to see lives changed and to see that spread in this area in a miraculous way. Because, Jesus, we're here for life change. I thank you for how you change lives. I thank you for how you've changed mine and others that are in this room. And I pray that you would continue that. Lord Jesus, please help us to work through what that means as we even close out this, this gathering. In your precious name, amen. Amen.